0: I know I run a risk this morning preaching on a parable about farming to you. Because I know nothing of farming, yet so many of you are expert farmers. I think we even have maybe among us a few master gardeners. The rest of us, or the rest of you rather, are at least really experienced amateurs Everyone here, it seems, has at least two to four to eight green thumbs. Speaking of expert farmers, we have uh, Farmer Tim and Lori Diebel with us back this morning. I I think you're in the expert category now. I, on the other hand, I'm whatever comes before novice. We once (laughs) killed a cactus after moving it to Texas. And yet we've bought a home that I'm told has been lovingly cared for decades upon decades by a couple with the greenest thumbs in town. There are plants and flowers everywhere, trees whose names I do not know. After a lot of Googling, I think I figured out I do indeed have a pear tree, I think. (laughs) There's this great place where we could start a vegetable garden if we could muster up the courage. And yet, with all my inexperience, it seems the one thing I can grow and grow well is weeds. (laughs) Everywhere, in the midst of rocks, in the midst of flowers, right through my driveway, they grow. And I'd pull the weeds if I could tell which ones were weeds and which ones were flowers. Often, they're both blooming. I thought we had a bunch of weeds growing along our driveway. Turns out they're ferns. Uh, Good thing I found that out before I found the weed eater. So I've decided to just trim the grass, keep it edged, but we're going to let the weeds grow. When in doubt, grow it out. (laughs) Now, I don't know if this is good gardening, but I'm going to call it the biblical method for weeding. And it's straight from our parable this morning. I'm just doing what Jesus says to do. As this parable indicates, Jesus loves to talk about farming. It's one of his favorite subjects in his parables. He's always telling us a story about a farmer, a sower. I can imagine Jesus joining us on Tuesdays for coffee, sitting around the table, telling us a good story about the farm. But there's something about these farming stories of Jesus. None of Jesus's farmers seem to know one good thing about farming. They're horrible farmers. Take, take, for instance, the parable of the good sower found in Matthew, just a few verses back from our text, same chapter. In that parable, this sower just starts sowing seed. He's got seed. He just starts scattering it everywhere. Good soil, bad soil, and thorns on rocks on the path everywhere. The sower's throwing the seed. No good sower who knew what they were doing would do that. What a waste. You don't plant your heirloom tomato seeds in a thorn bush. And yet this is what Jesus, the sower does. In the midst of our story, then the verses we skip, there's another parable, a short parable about a farmer planting a mustard seed, not a bunch of mustard seeds. just, just one. Just one mustard seed, a plant that was considered a nuisance plant in Jesus' day. This farmer puts all of his hopes on this one seed, this one seed for this nuisance plant. Not a very good farmer. Now, Jesus can tell a good story, but a good farmer, he is not. Take, for instance, our parable today. It starts off better than the rest. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in a field. Finally, someone knows what they're doing. But then things get a little weird while everyone is asleep, we are told. An enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Now, I don't know about you, but the farmers I've met usually seem like a pretty peaceful bunch, always sharing their harvest, making friends, not enemies. And yet somehow this farmer has angered someone. He doesn't even seem surprised at the fact when he's told there's weeds in his wheat. He says immediately, Oh, my enemy must have done this, as if he's expecting sabotage. Perhaps he made an enemy at the state fair. He won best squash. And the runner-up is deathly jealous. Maybe some developer wants to build a bunch of homes on his land, and he won't sell. He's not going to sell. He's going to die on that land. It's been in his family for years. Whatever the reason, this farmer has an enemy and he knows it and things have escalated quickly. An entire crop has been sabotaged. The servants, they have the best idea. Let's get to work now, they say. Let's pull the weeds, save what we can before things get worse. We can't let our enemy get the best of us. But the farmer well, the farmer has nothing of it. Why would he? This is Jesus's farmer. And after all, Jesus's farmer never do the things they should do. Let, let both of them, the, the weeds and the weed, we'll, we'll just let them grow together into the harvest. For if we pick the weeds, we, we may pick a few weed as well. Too risky. Now I'm not a good gardener, but I can Google. And the scientific name for the weed referenced in the story today in the Latin is lolium temulentum. I can't pronounce Latin either. It is known in English as a darnel, a poison darnel, or darnel, or cockle. Some other older Bible translations call it a tear. But the most important point I learned from Google is that if your field is infested with this poison weed, then you're in trouble. It's not a harmless weed. It's an imposter weed that looks like wheat until harvest comes. But it's really poison. If you eat too much of it, it can cause blindness. Its name literally means drunkenness. You become poison drunk and then you die. Now, Jesus is listeners being good farmers that they were, would have known this. The farmer's plan is a deadly plan. Leaving poison, weed to grow amongst the wheat is like keeping Clorox in the refrigerator next to the milk. Or let's just store the the steak knives in the kid's toy bin. It's dangerous. It's risky. It is deadly, and it is, Jesus says, like the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you're not as perplexed as I am, or if you are as perplexed as I am about Jesus's comparison of the kingdom to this dangerous farmer with poison crops, we're in good company. Jesus's own disciples have no idea what he's talking about. Explain this parable to us, they ask him. This parable, like very few of Jesus's parables, come with an explanation. After they ask for the explanation, Jesus lays it out clearly, explaining all the players in the story as if he's reading a playbill, telling us who the actors are and what role they're playing. It's so neat. It's so tidy. I wish Jesus explained himself like this more often. Everyone in the story has a role to play, and it's all going to be sorted out in the end. It's so neat and tidy, in fact, that scholars believe that this explanation that we find in our text is not really from Jesus at all, but it's something added much later, perhaps by the writer of the gospel or some early Christian scribe, someone trying to clear up what Jesus left hanging. And I'd argue against such a scholarly explanation, but I'm a minister, and that's what we do for a living, try to clear up what Jesus leaves hanging. We we love a good explanation. We don't like things to be ambiguous. This is what Jesus really means, we say. We need Jesus to explain this parable to us because we love drawing lines. We love separating the good from the bad, the weeds from the wheat. And we want to know which side of the line we are on, where we stand. Am I a weed, Jesus, or am I a wheat? And, And what about her or him? The gospel of Matthew, more than any other gospel, is this way. Matthew loves his world to be neat and in order. He can't stand the thought of bad guys getting away scot-free. There is no prodigal son in Matthew's gospel. Matthew brings his parables like this one, weeds and wheat, or like the one at the end of the gospel, sheeps and goats. You're one of them, which one are you? To Matthew, everyone has a category, everyone has a place, there's good, there's evil, and if you're on the evil side, well, you're going to get what's coming to you soon enough. That's why most of Matthew's parables end with someone getting cut up in pieces and thrown into a fiery furnace. Matthew would have probably been a good candidate for some therapy. (laughs) And of course, there's a time and a place to look at the world like Matthew does, But these times and these days, it seems that's the way everyone looks at the world. We're always drawing lines, separating out the good from the bad. Most Christians have long given up on ambiguity, and we carry lists in our pockets of whose weeds and whose wheat You can tell who's on which list by how they vote or where they worship or where they shop or what they eat or what they wear or where they live or how they feel about gays or how they feel about abortion or do they believe in a literal hell or do you believe in evolution? Liberal or conservative, these are the issues that we use to divide us. What makes you a weed to one group makes you weak to the other. And before long, we've all cut up one another into little pieces and thrown the whole world into the fiery furnace. That's been quite a week for line drawers. We were traveling the the end of this week, so the news came to us slower than it may have come to you. But this week, Israel sent troops to invade Gaza. A bully move in the latest escalation of a long dispute over a line they call a border. Here in the United States, everyone's arguing about another border line. And the unaccompanied immigrant children who keep crossing that line were told illegally seeking refuge from dangerous conditions in their home. They're undocumented. They're lawbreakers. They deserve to be on that side of the line. We're on this side. We love a line. And then we hear about a passenger plane shot from the sky, from the ground by a missile. Someone we don't know who in an instant threw 298 people into a flying, fiery furnace, over 80 of them children for reasons we can't imagine. As the plane flies over another area that's in war over another line, another border. We love our lines. We love killing to enforce our lines or at least neglecting people on the other side as they die. Weeds belong in here. Wheat or weeds belong out there. Wheat belongs in here. And then we meet Jesus' farmer. This farmer who doesn't know one thing about good farming. But if you haven't already caught on, this story that Jesus tells was never about farming. This is a story about us and how we love to hate weeds. In this story, we are cast as the servants. And the second we hear one mention of their weeds, of weeds being in the crop, we, we start looking for threshing hooks. After all, we can't be too careful. We we can't let the poisonous, deadly weeds grow among us. They may trick us, they may lead us astray. What harm could they do to our children? It's safer if we get rid of them, purify the crops, save the harvest. We can't be too careful. And just when we think we're safe from the infestation, someone looks at us, turns the threshing hook towards us. Maybe we're a weed. After all, we're not perfect. We have our doubts, we mess up. Who knows what weedy thoughts are hiding in the soils of our hearts. And just as the threshing hook is raised, someone yells from the side, no, no, let them grow, let them be. What's a weed anyway? Your weed may be my flower. I'm told dandelions are a weed, Yet, they're my son's favorite thing. Driving through southern Iowa this week, we saw a lot of short, stubby corn stalks growing amongst fields of beans. Were were they weeds? Honeysuckle can be very invasive. They can swallow a mailbox whole. Yet, the smell is straight from heaven. Some weeds, I'm told, are companion plants. That is, they grow along more welcomed plants. And they actually help them grow. They nourish the soil. And what good is wheat if you have a gluten intolerance? What is a weed? And what is wheat? And to our obsession with drawing these lines, Jesus says, it doesn't matter. Just let them all grow up in the field together. It'll all work out in the end. Your job is to water. Care for the field. Care for whatever grows. Don't throw anyone out. We can't risk losing anyone. So we stop drawing and enforcing the lines. We put our threshing hooks down, lay aside our weed and wheat labels, and just bask in the beauty of this big, ambiguous, field of God, where there's room for us all, no matter how weedy or wheaty we may be. May those with ears to hear, listen to the word of God, for you, the people of God. Amen. Let us approach the table of our Lord as we sing number 395, Seed Scattered and Sown.